Our scripture this morning is Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is God's word. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here and to be able to bring the message today. Um, you know, Drew's gone away, so he's not worried right now. Jonathan, though, he was a little worried this morning when I told him that I didn't have points to my sermon anyway, so I couldn't have given you an outline. Um, it does have a point, but I just don't have like three points because I'm a missionary and I can do what I want, you know, and everybody's like, whatever, that's, that's the missionary. He does, you know, he does weird things, so... <laughs> So it has one major point that uh, my hope is that as we go through the message that you would feel uh, the love and acceptance of Christ no matter what burden uh, you brought in or shame you might feel over your sin, but just the amazing love that he has for us. But we'll be getting to that uh, in a minute. I want to give you a little uh, um, update on our work. We left here three years ago. Uh, to go to Managua, Nicaragua, and we didn't speak any Spanish, which was an interesting experience because it was like being, you know, deaf because people were speaking to me and I didn't know what they were saying. You don't know the tone of their voice because you can't understand the words, so you don't know if they're making fun of you or if they're angry with you. In my case, they were probably making fun of me, but you don't really know what's going on. You can't speak to them, you know, you can't say anything that you want to say. So I left here a fully functioning adult and I arrived less than that. And it's an interesting experience. I, I've told this before, but I'm going to tell it again. Um, my first sermon was an interesting experience. I'd been there for about uh, six months before I decided I wanted to preach, but I didn't really know all the words. So I had to write it out in English and have somebody translate it for me. And I just practiced pronunciation. But it was weird because I never knew where I was at any given time. Uh, so 
it was hard to know like how to inflect my voice and whatnot because I only had general ideas of what I was saying. And uh, what I wanted to say at one point was that Jesus dies for your sin, and the word for sin is pecado, and that's what I wanted to say. What I actually said was Jesus died for your pescado, which means fish. (laughs) So while it's true in some ways, I guess, the redemption of the world, Jesus died for your fish, that certainly wasn't the point that I was trying to make. And there is a town in uh, Nicaragua that knows me as Tony Pescado. <laughs> but uh, I don't mind it because I feel like it sounds like a, uh, you know, Italian mobster name. So, so finally somebody thinks I'm tough. So that's nice. Uh, but we were there for about a year before we had our kickoff event. Uh, we do our work in some different levels. So our first level we call theological triage, where uh, we're just trying to get good theology to as many people uh, as fast as we can. And so uh, in Nicaragua, we have, uh, most pastors have about a fifth grade education with no theological training or background. Uh, so when you compare that to the United States, where most people probably have a master's degree, or if they don't have a master's degree, they have a lot of tools and resources that they could use, uh, most of which don't exist in Spanish, and the ones that do exist in Spanish are too expensive for Nicaraguan pastors. So Uh, We're using Third Mill. Uh, I know Richard Pratt came and spoke here uh, a while ago, but it's his ministry, and so we're using that to kind of spread uh, theological education as far and fast as we can. We're also doing some church planner training. That kicked off in May, and so that's going to be a two-year program where people come for every every three months for four days. We teach them some practical things for church planning and also some practical uh, pastoral skills. And in that, we also wanted to include the wives, the pastor's wives and their kids in that because they're often neglected. Uh, Marriages in Nicaragua are notoriously weak, so it is not uh, uncommon that a pastor's wife doesn't know she's a pastor's wife because she didn't realize that her husband uh, planted a church and that's where he was heading every Sunday, you know, and so that's, that type of thing happens, right? And so um, we're trying to, to go against that and try to train the wives, give them tools as well. And so we had uh, especially this last time in February, a, a woman from the uh, PCA's Women Leadership Council come and do some great training. Uh, one of the pastors told me, uh, he said, thank you for, for bringing her and for training the women because you care more about uh, our wives than even our own denominations. And that was a, a powerful statement to me, and it's kind of uh, proving what we're trying to do because part of what we're also trying to do is start a new Presbyterian denomination there. Um, and we wanted to have good theology, but we also wanted to have gospel that impacts their lives. So we try to lead uh, with open hands, serving uh, whomever would like uh, good training. Um, and we also were able to bring three men under care uh, in February. And under care is just the beginning first steps in the formal process for uh, Presbyterians for how you ordain pastors. So uh, in the next 18 months, uh, Lord willing, we'll have some uh, ordinations that will take place. That's pretty exciting, and we're excited about uh, what the Lord is doing, and we thank you all for your, your prayers and your support, uh, because it's, it's been a big help in ministry to us as we go and minister to them. Uh, we are going to be in Romans 8. We're going to be looking uh, at the passage a lot, so you might want to turn there in your Bibles or get the Pew Bible or in your insert in your worship folder. But as you do that, I'll tell you something else about me. 
uh, and that is I love cookies. Uh, cookies are an important part of my life. I, uh, I actually got in trouble not too long ago because I was eating too many Oreos and they were breaking my braces, and so I had to switch to ice cream, which is disappointing, but you know, there is grace, right? So, so cookies are important to me, and uh, there's something that uh, I like to share. I share with my kids. I've taken them on hospital visits uh, to give to the, to the patient, and I've even used them uh, to make friends. And so that's, that's one of my strategies. So, for example, uh, when I was in college, we went to go see the Florida Marlins, or they were Florida Marlins at the time. I think they're the Miami Marlins now, but... I don't really keep up with baseball all that much, but I went at that time to a lot of games because you could get in for $2. So me and a buddy of mine, we would pay $2 for the nosebleed seats, and the stadium was so empty that you could basically sit wherever you want, and they hardly had any ushers. But of course, the one place where they did have ushers, those were the best seats, and so that's where we would try to sneak in, right? So the $50 seats, that's where we wanted to go because, you know, sin in our hearts and all that. You know, we could sit anywhere else. That's where we were headed. Uh, so we would sneak in there, and we would, uh, you know, heckle the opponent's first baseman because, again, sin in our hearts, so, so don't uh, practice that. But that's what we did. And we would try to get the crowd into it. And, and uh, whenever somebody would do something good, we would pass around our victory cookies so everybody could share in our cookies. And it was great fun. Uh, but one time, it was a pretty packed game. So again, we still snuck into that section. We still got them chanting and passing around our victory cookies. But apparently, uh, we were either too obnoxious or we just stuck out too much as the type of people who wouldn't pay $50 to go see these games. And so the usher called our bluff and he's like, hey, I need to see your ticket. So there it was, the moment of shame, right? So, so we were very public. Everybody knew who we were. We, they thought we were one of them, but we weren't. We were frauds. And we turned to do the walk of shame up to our very, very bad seats uh, when there's a new chant starts. Let them stay. Let them stay. And it was awesome because the power of cookies were greater then the power of the Miami Marlins ushers, and we were allowed to stay. And so sometimes we're in situations where we feel like we don't belong, and we don't belong, right? I didn't pay the money these people paid for their seats, right? I didn't belong in that section. But then there's this powerful moment that happens sometimes when you're in a place you don't belong, but then all of a sudden there's acceptance, Right, where they look to you and they say, no, you do belong. You're one of us. And that was my moment in the baseball game, and I think that's Paul's uh, point here in Romans 8. He just, in the previous chapter, was talking about his struggle with sin and how he's a wretched man. But then he goes on to reassure us that even though we don't feel like we belong, we do belong. So maybe you're coming here today and you've been struggling with some guilt and shame over your sin, and you're sitting in church, and you're thinking, I'm just not, I mean, I'm not as good as these people. I don't belong with these people, or, or maybe not these people. Maybe say to God, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not good. I don't belong here. God can't love me and accept me. And even though you've repented of your sin, you still feel that weight of your struggle and the shame of that. And that's what I think Paul is going after today. So we're going to be looking at it first, verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Let's pause there. One of the things that he talks about is this righteous requirement for the law. And there's some discussion on on what he's actually getting at. But this is what I I think he's meaning here. Is that the law makes a demand on us, right? It says you have to perfectly obey God's law or you face his wrath. Punishment, hell. And and what he's saying is that that is good. That that is righteous. That that his law is not... uh, overbearing, it's not unreasonable, it's good, and if we don't perfectly obey it, then we should face wrath and hell. And that's really one of the starting points for our own repentance, right, is that we we look at our sin, and we look at life, and we look at the gospel, and we say, yeah, what God says about me, that I'm a sinner, that I deserve this, is true. My, My sin does deserve wrath, punishment, and hell. That is, that is true, and that's, that's righteous even. But he says more than that. See, the problem with the law that, that Paul talks about isn't that the law is bad, it's that it, it's not complete. It doesn't do everything that we need done. We look at the law and it condemns us. And even though that's righteous, that's hopeless. Except that he talks about Christ coming in his son in the likeness of flesh. And so he's just sharing the gospel, right? Jesus came down, God as man. Fully man because only man can pay for another man's sin. And fully God because only the blood of God is powerful enough and valuable enough to pay for all the world's sins. And so we we see this picture, this reality that he comes, he lived that perfect life, he dies His blood is is given to us, right? He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. He takes our shame and gives us the right to be the sons and daughters of God. And that's what he's getting at there, that this this reality that, that even though you might feel condemned, you might feel the shame of your sin, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation because that righteous requirement has been fulfilled through Christ. Then he goes on, verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. All right, we're going to pause there again. He, he says something here that I think is, is a little shocking because when he's, he's comparing people who've, who are Christians who set their mind on the Spirit and those who haven't, in the thing that he says that marks those who are in the flesh that aren't in Christ is that they haven't submitted to the law. And what makes that weird, right, is because we've been just talking through Romans about the freedom we have from the law, the freedom that we have in Christ, And so why is this then the standard again? Why why does he bring that up? 
I think what he's getting at here is this reality that when we set our mind on the Spirit, when we set our mind on God, that's not just talking about you know, memorizing some more Bible verses. Right? I mean, that's, that's good. Uh, that's fine. You should do that. But, but that's not what it's just talking about. It's talking about the change we have in ourselves, in our outlook, in our worldview, the complete radical change from death to life that happens when we get saved. And so... So when we are saved and renewed and in Christ, our relationship to the law changes because it's no longer an oppressor over us condemning us, but it's still in our hearts that we want to please God. The way I think about it is the first time I bought a vehicle in Nicaragua. Uh, We have four kids, and when you have four kids, that pushes you in a new bracket of car because you have to have three rows of seat. You can't get by with a sedan with two rows. You need the third row so everybody can sit there. And so uh, in Nicaragua, when you buy a car, in case you're ever interested, uh, you go to a mechanic, and the mechanic operates like a realtor, and he shows you around to some different cars, and he kind of vouches for the cars, and, and he helps you buy the car. And so, so we're going around, and we're looking at all these different vehicles, and the difficulty was is that even in Nicaragua, most people don't need their third row of seats, and so it's for storage or whatever, and a lot of them didn't have seat belts. And so uh, trying to talk to the mechanic and say, look, I need three rows of seats, and I want seat belts in all the seats, every one. And he looks at me, you know, he's thinking, he's trying to comprehend, he's like, ah, tranquilo, it means relax. You're not legally required to have seat belts in Nicaragua. Only in the front. And I thought, yeah, that's not, that's not the problem, right? And so, so then you get kind of like taken you know, when you're in a new culture. And what you're trying to figure out, is it them or is it me? Like, who's weird here? Because uh, one of us isn't communicating. And so I give it to my American friends who are missionaries there. And I'm talking to them, right? They're supposed to be like me. I'm talking to them about, uh, you know, trying to find a car with seatbelts. And they say the same thing. They say, hey, relax, brother. You don't need seatbelts in the back here in Nicaragua. And I'm thinking, have you ever driven in Managua, right? Like, like yes. I, I don't want to get too political here. But when I think about government overreach into my life, I don't think about laws requiring cars to have seatbelts. I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what that says about me. But I've never felt like I need to throw off the oppressive government requiring my kids to have seatbelts. I, I don't know why they rejoice in that, but people do. And that's the way Christians are to the law of God, right? That we, we don't want to throw off the shackles of, of God's law because it teaches us how to please him, teaches us how to, how to be good, right? You shouldn't want to murder, right? That's a good law. Don't do that. Don't cheat on your wife, right? That's a, that's a good thing not to do. And as the law gets in our hearts and makes us new, it changes who we are so that we relate to the law in, in a completely different way. But then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And really, verses 7 and 8 are together because he says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
And that's a powerful statement. And that is an absolute, right? They cannot please God. I know it's a, it's a common thing among atheists to say that Christians, the religious people in general, but Christians specifically, that, that we only need faith because it's a crutch, right? That we can't stand the idea of a world uh, with no meaning, and so, so we have our faith. But I think the reality is it cuts both ways. Because for the atheist, uh, the last thing that they want to believe is that there's a God who they're accountable to. Right? So if I close my eyes, if I stick my fingers in my mouth, and, I, and if I convince myself that there's no God, then nobody says I can't do whatever I want to do. And one of the interesting things about kind of the new atheism that's in now is that they still want to convince you, but I can still be a good person. You can be a good person and an atheist. And the reality is, yeah, I mean, you can be a decent person and an unbeliever and an atheist, and I've known some that are decent people, and that's, that's true. But you cannot please God, and that's something different. Right? See, what we want to do is we want to be free to create our own self-justification, our own methods for that. And here he's saying that that doesn't work. And that's why they get so angry with you as Christians. That's why when you try to witness, sometimes people get angry. And there's all sorts of reasons that people post about the nasty things about Christians. And I think that the reality of it is, is that it's light shining in the darkness. I'm not uh, a morning person per se. At least I don't think of myself as that. But I am more so than not. At least I'm more so for sure than Amber. So... It is my job to uh, wake up the girls in the morning, and uh, I try to do that gently and courteously, yeah, as a loving father, not uh, exasperating my children. So, so what I do now uh, here, we have the place we're staying has dimmers on the light, so I like to go in and to their room, and I start playing Peer Gint's The Morning Song, you know, dee, 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 dee. Yeah, okay, so, so it, and it kind of progresses, and as it progresses, I turn the lights slowly up, you know, because it's a dimmer, so just slowly up. And so some of my girls are morning people, and so they wake up smiling. Sometimes they, they direct the music, uh, you know, as they're waking up. But then some of them are not. And you hear this hissing sound, right, coming from the bed. And you're like, am I about to get bit by a snake? What just happened here? And they're normally sweet children, and sometimes... They're not so sweet in the mornings. Why? Because the light shines in the darkness. And in the early church, the Romans, they, they, didn't, they didn't hate the Jews. They thought the Jews were weirdos, right? Because they were different ethnically. They lived totally different lives. The Jews thought the Romans were heathens. Romans didn't care. But when Romans started to convert to being Christians, then it got personal. Then it was people who look like me and who act like me and who are like me. And the light is shining, saying that the fragile scaffolding of my own self-justification won't stand up. And as Paul says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. The implication is there is condemnation for those not in Christ. And the difficulty as Christians dealing with our own guilt and shame over our continuing sin as we start second-guessing ourselves. And Paul's point here is to reassure us. 
So he goes on in verse 9. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So he makes that, that separation again, but he's, he's reassuring them. Look, if you're in Christ, if you have the mind of Christ, that you're okay, there's no condemnation. And then he goes on in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because the body is dead. You know, in some ways... We can, we can feel that, right? Uh, so, 37 years old, and I've got adult braces. Why? Because the body is dead in sin. And a dentist came on a missions trip to Nicaragua, and he looks at me, and he says, well, we might have to break your jaw. We're going to have to give you braces for a couple of years. It's going to be rough. And I said, or we could not do any of those things. <laughs> I mean... Because that's also an option. I'm married. Amber said I do to my crooked teeth, so I'm not on the hook for that one. And he said, but your teeth are going to start chipping. And I thought, well, that's completely different now, isn't it? I like keeping all my teeth in my mouth. And so... I got braces. Luckily, they didn't have to do the whole jaw-cracking thing. That would be a lot less funny for me. Probably would have made the story better for you guys, so I'm sorry about that. But, <clears throat> but we feel that, the reality that the effects of sin has on our body, that we get old, that we're dying, that we, you know, we get sick, we've had the flu. In, in, in all that suffering, the natural suffering that we face is just a mockery to us, reminding us of the effects of sin. And we can feel, even as we go through that, that that is God's unique punishment to us, right? That, that now he's causing me to have braces, and sometimes they break off, and now I can't eat Oreos. Thanks a lot, God, right? That, but he's saying, no, this is just this general reality that, that our body is dead because of sin. And what he's really doing is he's setting up verse 11. And he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What he's referring to there is the resurrection, is, is eternity. And whenever the Bible talks about the resurrection, it's not referring to just a spiritual resurrection, it's referring to a bodily resurrection. That even though by the time Jesus comes back, I may be decomposed, somehow it's going to be all put together and I'm going to be me physically just better with like better teeth and I can have, you know, milk without my lactate pills and it's, everything's going to be great. And, th and that's what he's talking about. And I think this is lovely because it bookends verse 1. See, a lot of times we can, we can buy the idea that there's no condemnation, that Jesus judiciously says, you're not guilty, but that doesn't mean he likes me. Right? We can think of it as a presidential pardon. He pardons us of our, of our crimes, but he's not going to be seen with us in public. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that, that our transformation, our acceptance in Christ the, the, the extent that there's no condemnation is that there's also this loving acceptance that, that he's preparing this awesome eternity for us. 
The Bible, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Right? He, the picture is that he's not a stingy accountant keeping score to make sure you only get exactly your glory points in heaven. But that he's a loving, doting father smiling on Christmas Eve as he thinks about the joy that you're going to experience when you wake up and you see what he's prepared for you. It's fuller than, than just no condemnation. And in a few minutes, uh, Jonathan's going to come up and he's going to lead us in communion. And I, I love communion. I love communion when I preach because it just makes things a lot easier. Because here we have the, the, the physical reality of, of what we're speaking of. Right? That Jesus, in his, in his uh, compassion and understanding towards us, didn't just give us the words, but he gave us a tactile thing that we could touch his body, that we can drink the blood, the, the wine, or the, the, the grape juice, and, and we, can, we can experience that physically. And then he promises to be here with us spiritually during that, and we, we get this amazing sign of the, the union we have in Christ as we, we take his body and drink his blood. And it's this, this wonderful portrait of this reality that not only did he say that there's no condemnation because he died, because his body was broken, but, but there's this union with him now that we're totally accepted, that we're loved. But maybe as we approach the time for communion, your sin whispers in your ear and says, this isn't for you. You have your sins, you have whatever you did this morning, whatever you did last night, and it's saying, look, this isn't, this isn't for you. You're a hypocrite if you go up there. And, you know, the reality is that, that the Bible does give us, you know, one instance where if somebody has something against you that you need to, you know, not take communion and make that right with them. But for a lot of people, that's not, what it, that's not what's bugging them. There's, there's this inward thing that's saying, you're, you're a hypocrite. You don't, you're not really accepted, and if that's what you're thinking, I hope you hear these words as you come up and you do take it, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that Jesus is chanting, let him stay, let her stay. He's on our side. But maybe it's more than a whisper. Maybe the voice is pretty loud and it says, you're a hypocrite. And he's only saying those things because he doesn't know what you've done. He doesn't know what you were doing last night. He wouldn't be saying that if he knew. And if the voice is louder, I hope you hear this passage even louder, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But maybe your sin and your shame is shouting at you today, saying, what, you know, they don't know what you've done. You're dirty and you can never be clean. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you're responsible for the failure of your marriage. And it's saying, you can never be accepted. This isn't real. And I hope you hear this passage even louder, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of light, life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You are not condemned if you are in Christ. You are loved, you are accepted, you are enjoyed. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holiness, how you are so different from us, how you're so much better than us. And we thank you for that, and we praise you for that, even though that means that our sin separates us and that there's a problem that we have and that the requirement of the law is righteous and good and condemning us. But we thank you even more that you came and you died for us you fulfilled the righteous requirement on our behalf and then you graciously invite us in. What an amazing reality. What a turning of the tables on our behalf. Lord, and even though we feel guilt and shame for our sin, Lord, we, we have the reassurance that you do not cast your lot against us, but you accept us, you love us, and you enjoy us. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just, just a reminder to you, we will have two services next week, 9 and 1045. Uh, please do help us by spreading the word about that. And uh, hope to see you here next week. Uh, the, the, some of the greatest words written in the Bible, Tony read them today several times because we need to hear them over and over and over again. There is, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has done what the law couldn't do, and what we can't do. So because the Father's hand of wrath was raised over his Son, I can raise my hands over you in his name for blessing, excuse me, for blessing you to send you out with these great words. So receive them now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.